Amen. All right, I have a question. Would you consider yourself in your life more organized or organic? So here's what I mean by that. There's some of us that have the personality that we have to have everything mapped out. You know, like my month is mapped out. I know this day, this day. And if the schedule changes, it causes some tension. It causes some issue. Now, I am a little bit more on the adaptable side, on the, on the organic side. I, my life is, you know, I live it similar to skiing through the woods. You know, like you just take off through the woods and you're going and you turn a corner and there's another tree and you got to, you know, I just trust I'm going to try and make the best decisions when that tree's there not to hit it. Um, other people might want to look at an aerial view of the woods first and map out where they're going to go through the trees. You know, at least get a view from the going up the, the lift, you know, where are we going to go? In life, are you more organized, planned, or more organic? Uh, I know that's a spectrum, but if you're more on the organic side, raise your hand. Okay, if you're more on the, the organized, laid out, raise your hand. More of you, a lot more of you. Interesting. I'm surprised it's not more stressful in here. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if the people on the organic side are going to be like, you can do whatever, no big deal. The people on the organized side, you guys believe your way is the right way, right? Yeah, that's just kind of the way it works. Um, what about when it comes to church life? When it comes to the church, we can, we can lean toward organic or organized, and my tendency would be more on the organic side. Like, let's just go with the flow. We're following Jesus. The Holy Spirit will lead us. Let's go. Now, you go too far that way, and you just got a mess. Or far on the other side, let's have everything so organized and planned or whatever that we can't hear from the Spirit. We can't go His way. You know, what is the balance of that organized versus organic? I think the, the best example I've seen is the trellis and the vine. If you have a, a vine, uh, like at our old house, we had a, a honeysuckle, really cool plant, vine. And it would grow, but it needed a trellis, a wood support for it to grow in order to go up toward the sun, you know, to have space. Without the trellis, these vines would just go along the ground and, and they would rot in spots or the shade would prevent life. You know what I'm talking about? Trellis and the vine? I mean, with ours, the, the trellis at one point started breaking and rotting. Luckily, you know, it would fall over and I'd tie it back up with a shoelace. Um, but a rose bush grew in it and it, they grew together, which was kind of cool. The rose bush became the, the trellis. But in church, we need the trellis, the organization aspect, in order to support the life of the church, the organic aspect. The Bible talks a lot about the church being the body of Christ. The body is very organic. You know, it, it grows. God will lead us in certain ways. And so you need the trellis to support the life of the church. But what is the real emphasis on a trellis and the vine? It's the vine. Right? I, I mean, you don't have just a trellis. and You're like, hey, that's a really cool trellis. It's about the vine. It's whatever's growing on it. In a similar way, within the church, there's an organizational aspect that we need to help the life of the church thrive and grow. And this is one of those that I've learned through years because I would have tended on the other side. Let's just wing it. And then you see that doesn't always work. So this is what we're talking about today. Church leadership. Church structure a little bit. Uh, who is supposed to be leading the church. Now, before I get into that, I want to read 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It'll appear on your screen. It says, A spiritual gift 
is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Or here in, in that translation, for the common good. So every single person that is a believer, a follower of Jesus, has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit and given a supernatural gift to be used within the church. Now we see in Ephesians, some of those gifts are leadership gifts. Some are service gifts. Some are speaking gifts. Some are behind the scenes gifts. But everybody is given a gift to be used within the church. My point in that is we all have an important part to play. And not all of us should aspire to be leaders because that's not what God has for us there. Uh, we are all leaders in some aspect of our lives, absolutely. But we all have a gift. Um, Paul shared those, those numbers, which I thought was helpful to look at how many volunteers do we need. You know, we believe we're faithfully following what Jesus has asked us to do, planting there, but it's a little bit scary. I'm not going to have a show of hands, but it's a little bit scary. And then you look at how many volunteers we need, and you can look at the numbers and go, ah, this is so scary. But I look at you know, being more organic. I looked at the numbers a little bit differently and I went, okay, what, what was our average attendance? What has that been? We have 50% serving. The average church has 20% serving. So we're killing the averages. I mean, really, you guys are awesome. <laughs> we are killing the averages in that 50% of the average church attender. And by the way, many that come on Sunday aren't really involved in the life of the church yet. So you wouldn't expect that to be 100%, absolutely. But 50% is really, really good, but we talk about, but with the mission God is calling us to, we need even better than that. But each of us is given a gift that we are responsible to use within the church. And some are given leadership abilities, some, but it's not just gifting and abilities, it's actually a position. So it's the trellis, and it gets kind of boring, doesn't it? Uh, but it's not. It's very firm in scripture about the leadership of the church, what that's supposed to look like. And so we need to understand that. Um, here's what we're going to cover today. Who leads? How are they selected? And what do they do? Now, I wanted to answer the question real quick. Should there even be leadership? You know, because there is the thought within the church, Jesus is the leader. The Holy Spirit is the leader. We don't need organized leaders because Jesus is the head. Absolutely. Jesus is the head. But in Hebrews... The writer says this in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I just read that and we could cover a lot of verses in scripture to point to God's plan for his church is leadership. And so for the rest of us, it, it talks about obeying and submitting, and, and that's not in a rigid, worldly kind of way. That submission is more of a willingly place under this leadership. And, and by the way, you don't always do that. If your leaders are going off of Scripture, and the, you, you don't follow that, absolutely. Um, but one of the examples that kind of came to mind with this was even this church plant. We're doing this. If we were honest, a lot of us would go, that wouldn't be my choice. <laughs> but we believe we're following what God would have us do. And so for a lot of us, we're going, we trust you leaders that you're hearing from God. And so we're going to be part of it. Not just sit back and go, let's see if this succeeds or fails, but we're going to be part of making it succeed, even though it might not be our choice. It's similar in a family, right? Submission. So that's, that's what scripture lays out. But now here's the, the question. The first one I want to answer, and we're going to be in first Peter. Turn to first Peter chapter five. We've been in James for a while. If you know where that is, go to James and then just flip over one book to the right, 1 Peter. 
If you need a Bible, there's one underneath you. I'm not sure if we have a page number. Yeah, page 1119 in the Bible under the seat, and you can go straight to it. But the first question we're going to ask is, who leads? Who leads? Let me read 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, simple answer. Look at this. Who leads? Elders. Does this just mean old people? That's not what it means. Otherwise, we'd all be just following Bob. Um, <laughs> I had to find one. Bob preached here a year ago, and he took some stabs at me, so I, I got a chance. But who leads? We see elders. Uh, the New Testament teaches that the church is led by a plurality of elders. A plurality of elders. We're going to see this some more. But the, the model where there's one head pastor with all the control, he's the only elder, that's not a biblical model. You know, that is a traditional model in, in the United States that's been followed for a long time, especially in Baptist traditions. Uh, but it's one person with all the power. That's absolutely not the biblical pattern. It is a plurality of elders, a plurality of leaders. Let me prove it to you. Acts 14.23. This is when the church is just starting and it's starting to spread. So it's not just in Jerusalem anymore and churches are popping up. It says this. And when they had appointed elders plural, elders, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In Titus 1.5, Paul is giving instructions to a young pastor, and he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. This is a very clear biblical pattern, a plurality of elder leadership. Again, not one person leading. Not everybody leading together. We're all going to just vote. It's several, a handful, at least more than one elders given this, this leadership responsibility. So there's the first one. Now, the second, how are elders selected? Now, we don't really see that in 1 Peter, so we're going to look elsewhere. We're going to look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Uh, and that's going to pop up here, so you don't have to turn there. You can stay in 1 Peter but how are they selected? First thing, they must meet the qualifications of an elder laid out here in 1 Timothy. We also see this list in Titus. It says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is the same as elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into the disgrace, into a snare of the devil. It's kind of a serious list. Leave that up if you would. Uh, but if you look at that, there's a lot of pieces to the qualifications of an elder. And I'm not going to spend, I mean, we could spend all day just looking at each piece. But just look through that. Above reproach. Above reproach, meaning there's no real legitimate charge somebody can take against them. They've defrauded. They've done this. They're a liar. They're above reproach. The husband of one wife. This one has been debated over. Very literally, it means one woman man. So one woman at a time. Now we can talk about divorce. There's places in scripture about divorce. But for an elder, what he's talking about is a one woman man. Uh, at that time, there was polygamy at times. So not a polygamist. Um, and we would say, too, not someone who, who as a Christian or, or in recent past, has gone through divorces and things like that, that haven't met the biblical pattern. So uh, he must be a husband of one wife, sober-minded, you know, they, they think well, self-controlled, self-controlled, you don't want somebody that has a temper that comes out later, self-controlled, somebody that uh, has maybe a gambling problem, those things, they're able to be self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Are you comfortable going to this person's house? Uh, hospitable in the New Testament uh, often is really a friend to strangers. So an elder is someone who has their house open to others. They're, they're welcoming others into their lives. Hospitable. Able to teach. This is a big deal. Able to teach. Because we're going to see later what elders are called to do. Part of being an elder is is supervising, defending the flock. Say somebody comes in here and starts teaching things heretical, teaching things that the Bible doesn't teach. Say somebody came in and they started teaching, and we talked about this last week, that you're sick, you have cancer, uh, it's not being healed. Well, the problem is your faith is not strong enough. Well, guess what elders would do? Elders would grab that person, pull them aside and go, here's what the Bible teaches. We have to, that's why an elder has to be able to teach. That's not what the Bible teaches. And then for those of in the flock, maybe new believers, young believers, or don't know what the Bible says about that, and they're starting to be pulled astray, the elder should be able to come in, pull them and go, here's what the Bible says about that. It's not a faith issue. That brings a lot of peace, right? So the elder has to be able to teach, meaning they know the Bible well, very well. Not a drunkard, not violent, gentle. Gentle is strength under control. You know, that's physical, but also they're not somebody who, who uses their authority or uses their swag or whatever it is to get people to do their will. They're gentle. They're not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. Someone who manages his own household well. You see this other places in Scripture. The house is really the testing ground for a church leader. Because if, if a, a man cannot serve his wife well and lead his kids well, he wouldn't do well in the church. And so that's the testing ground. Not a recent convert. And here's the last one we see in there. He must be well thought of by outsiders. So he has relationships with non-believers and they're well thought of. And this may be in business, in work, whatever it is, well thought of by outsiders. This is a serious list. Now there's a, something inherent in here, and we're not going to get into this a lot, but you see it's a man. Everywhere you see the description of an elder, it's always a man. And it's not because men are better leaders. 
by the way. It's not because men are smarter. We all know that's not true. It's God's order of things. God set it up that men would be leading the church. And so here, the man leads. The man is the husband of one wife. These are the, the pieces. So first, how do we choose elders? They must meet, meet the qualifications. Next, they must be appointed by others. As we look in Acts, Titus, Timothy, elsewhere, they're appointed. Uh, those verses that I read before where Paul tells to Titus, he said, I let you in Crete that you would set in order and appoint elders in every city. In Acts 14, it says, and when they had appointed elders, elders are appointed. They are recognized. Elders are not self-appointed is the point there. How often have you met somebody that is self-appointed authority? <laughs> often in church, especially a church plant, people will come in going, hey, I'm really important. I know a lot. You should follow me. That's not the way it works. Elders are appointed by others. Here, here's a question that uh, might come to your mind. What about a church planter? Who appointed you? <laughs> you know, we started Common Ground two and a half years ago. And a lot of times, I'll be honest, churches are planted because of some, how do you say it nicely? Some self-consumed person that thinks they're awesome and goes, everybody should follow me. And so they go plant a church. Uh, our process, you know, when we started feeling God might be leading us to do this, I sought counsel from godly men and women, wise people, and I said, God might be leading us this way. Do you think I'm right? And I, I received affirmation from them. Yes, we see the gifting. We see the qualifications go. Then uh, when we got in contact with Common Ground Carson, that is our sending church. So the leaders of Common Ground, not Common Ground Carson, Common Ground Las Vegas, the leaders of Common Ground Vegas recognized, yes, you know, you would meet these qualifications. We would want to send you as a planter. Then Callie and I both went through this assessment process. It was very intense. It was, you know, lots of questionnaire online, very personal stuff. And then we went in and had all these interviews and it, it was crazy stuff. But at the end, there was this panel of about 10 men who at the end said, we recognize the, the qualities we, we, we send you, basically. Uh, the real authority in the sending, though, is our sending church. And so, again, a, a planting pastor, we believe churches plant churches. And so leaders are raised up within a church and then sent out to plant. So I was appointed by this group. I was appointed by our sending church. Uh, when we started, though, here's the rough thing. You know, church planters start out, it's normally one couple. Well, the Bible talks about a plurality of elders. You know, that's one of those goofy things when a church is just starting. Well, for me, I was blessed to have Alex. I was good friends with Alex. Uh, Alex is one who came to me uh, just when, when life was happening, going, I feel God leading this way. And so Alex was one that, that I asked. I said, would you consider being the other elder? Because ideally, there's more than one. Um, and he and Kelsey prayed about it. And so to a certain extent, I appointed him with the authority that had been given to me. But it's not just that. Now, the next step in that whole process of appointment is they have to be recognized by the congregation. So you, by the way, have a huge part to play in your leadership. And this is why we need to cover this. You are responsible for your leaders, if that makes sense. Now, that sounds kind of heavy. But if you sit there and you listen to me or another elder teach something that's not biblical, you have a responsibility to confront it. It's up to you. It's up to you to not follow bad leadership. You have leaders who are, are morally failing. 
It's up to you to stop following them, stop adding weight to their leadership. And so they must be appointed by others and recognized by the congregation. One of the examples we see of this is in Acts, in Acts 6. The church is just starting out in Jerusalem. And you have the apostles who are the elders and you have some other elders that are leading. Uh, and the church, by the way, grew first megachurch. So there were thousands of believers. And one of the ministries they had was feeding widows. But a problem occurred. These widows were complaining that they weren't getting enough food and these ones were being overlooked. And so they came to the elders, they came to the leaders and they said, we have a problem with this ministry. We need you to fix it. And they said, you know what? We need to focus on some other things. So you put forward seven godly men that we will put over this. And so you see that in Acts 6, uh, verse 3. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, these were really the first deacons. But you see this idea of they're recognized by the body and then appointed by the elders. That's a good system. That the, the body, that's why we, uh, we put forward to you two, actually three new elders. David Manster, David Manser, Preston Pitts, and Paul Ingram. And you had two weeks to go, we think they're qualified or we don't, and then to come to us and go, here's why they're not qualified, here's what we've seen. Nobody did, so that's exciting. But so the body has a part to play in the leadership. So they meet the qualifications. They're appointed. Now here at, here at Common Ground, uh, we're going to see what the elders do. Uh, but for us, we limit our pool of elders from those who are group leaders. Because if you've been here very long, you know we don't have a lot of ministries. We, we basically do groups. That's where Groups is where life happens. Groups is where people are shepherded, taught, and a lot of that, that's where we exercise our gifts with one another. And so the people that we would ask to be elders are those already doing what an elder should do. They're already shepherding others. They're already serving others. Elders are those who love God's church, who love the word, and who are already serving others, laying themselves out for others. So go back to 1 Peter. Hopefully you're still there. What do elders do? 1 Peter 5, verse 2. Peter writes to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So there's the first one. They shepherd God's people by leading and teaching. They shepherd do you know that the word pastor is only used once in the New Testament? Only one time. We now have kind of this system that, that the church follows a pastor, but biblically, pastor is only used once. Shepherd is used a lot of times, which is where the word pastor comes from, shepherd, but it almost always is referring to elders, overseers, bishops. We'll look at that. But they are to shepherd. Uh, the primary word shepherd, the primary meaning of that word means to feed. That's why they must be able to teach. They must know the word because the primary job of elders is to feed. Picture a shepherd. You know, we, we, maybe you don't see him very often, but in this day and age, there were a lot of shepherds. But a shepherd would take their flock out to good grass, good water. Their job was to take them to eat. Now, maybe you've heard this in church before. You know, I'm just not being fed at church. There's some validity to that. But the shepherds, a lot of times when I hear that, it, it's people just, 
they don't read their Bible through the week and they come Sunday for their one spiritual meal. Um, if you notice, shepherds don't take their sheep, pull the grass out, stick it in their mouth and do this and then shove it down their throat. They, they take them... They take them to the grass. And so in many ways, that's what elders are supposed to do. Take you to the word, but then it's up to you to digest it. And also through the week, it's up to you to be going to the word, to be feeding yourself. But the shepherd is to lead by feeding the word. A shepherd also protects, and you see that in the next part. It says exercising, again, this is 1 Peter 5, 2, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Exercising oversight. Again, you, you see that with the shepherd. Uh, I think King David is a great example. When David was a, a kid, a young man, he was a shepherd. And you read these stories of him. At least here's how I picture it in my mind. There's the flock out there, and they're, they're eating. He took them to good grass next to a stream where they can drink. And then he gets on a rock, and he watches. And he watches. And here comes a bear coming out of the woods. And what does David do? He runs and he attacks the bear. He's got a club, hits him with the club, and he, I mean, he kills the bear. Another time, a lion comes running down to attack. He runs and he attacks the lion. Uh, shepherds were really good with their slingshots. Uh, that's why he was able to kill the, the giant Goliath, because they, they could use that to defend. Part of being a shepherd is to exercise oversight, to look out, to watch, to be aware. That's why shepherds, elders, need to be part of the body. That's why they're group leaders. They need to know what's going on. Again, False teaching comes in, they move in, and they deal with it. Marriages are struggling. Guess who you can go to? An elder. They should be able to come and help walk through that with you. They, exercising oversight. The health of the flock. That's their job. The word means to watch closely with great care. You know, watching over also means making decisions. Guiding them. As last week we looked at in the book of James, when somebody is wandering, go grab them and pull them back. Elders, this is their responsibility. Uh, by the way, if you didn't know it, we kind of try and track you. We try and be away. Maybe you've been gone for three weeks and you got a postcard saying, hey, we miss you. That's part of oversight. You know, Katie has a big part of that. Katie's not an elder, but Katie's really good at tracking some of those things and letting us know, hey, these people, we haven't seen them in a while. Because that's our job, to look out. If somebody strays, we want to go bring them back. And you don't, you're not always able to bring them back, but you exercise oversight. What else do they do? So they shepherd, they exercise oversight. We see something big in Acts 6 again. Back when this issue happened where they appointed the first deacons, uh, I think it was Peter even at that point, he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to appoint them so that we can focus on what we're supposed to focus on. And he says this in Acts 6, 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. To two things. Elders' primary role is two things. Prayer and the ministry of the word. Again, you see they need to know the word. And they're men of prayer. Add those things up. What does that mean? If somebody is in the word, teaching the word, and in prayer, what are they doing? They're intimately following Jesus. That's an elder's first job, to get close to Jesus, to, to speak to Jesus, to listen to what God has to say. The best elders, and really what every elder should be, is somebody simply listening to God. And when God says, go that way, okay, I follow. 
That is an elder. Not somebody who boldly says, I've got all the answers, follow me. But somebody who goes, I am going to listen to the chief shepherd, Jesus. Their job is to listen and to follow and to lead others to follow. The only way you can do that is through prayer. The great leaders in the Old Testament, the great leaders in the New Testament, and the great leaders in all of church history since always are big prayers. Test me on that. Just go do some research. From Augustine to Luther, all of those who had a significant impact on, on God's will being done were, were prayers. And so that's who we're looking for as elders, people who pray. And so that's the next qualification or the next thing that a shepherd does, actually. They are to be devoted to prayer and to learning and sharing God's word. Your elders should be good examples to follow. Not perfect, by the way. If we're looking for perfect people, we won't find them. But people humbly following. You see over and over, you see it in these verses and elsewhere, that an elder is one to lead humbly, uh, to lead not for selfish gain. If you remember when two of Jesus' apostles, actually their mom came to Jesus and said, hey, when you go into your kingdom, will one sit on your right and one sit on your left? You know, they wanted positions of prominence. And Jesus said, that's not for me to give. But here's what a leader is supposed to be within the church. Because all the other apostles came around and they were upset at these apostles for wanting to be above them. He says, here's, here's the leaders we're looking, somebody like a child. He says, the leaders among you should be the last. The leaders among you should be the ones that lay down their life first. Those are elders, not the person that comes, follow me, I'm great. The person that is serving, that is placing themselves under. When we do a barbecue or something and food's running out, they eat last or they don't eat at all. Did our elders do that? I don't know. Actually, I ate first. (laughs) But you see what an elder is supposed to be. A servant leader. Now, we covered this today. Uh, We finished James. Next Sunday, we're we're doing kind of our launch Sunday, or our preparation, our prayer Sunday to launch. And then we're going into a new series. It worked very well to talk about this today because we're going to recognize new elders. And this is a huge step uh, in the life of our church. We're planting. We need more leaders. We need more shepherds. And God has provided. Um, So I'm going to pass it off to Alex. Alex is our other elder. And he